Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother... Hey, what's up, monkeys? Monkey Dan here, and welcome to the Live Wild or Die podcast. On this episode, I'd like to welcome back my good friend and wild man, Michael Butts. Michael Butts and I have been friends for, gosh, it's like, let's see, we met in 2013, so where are we at? Eight years? I'll, I'll never forget the first time he came into the gym I was working at at the time and comes up, hey, I'm Michael. I like to do CrossFit and I rock climb and We've been good friends ever since. We've traveled all over the Western U.S. to do rock climbs, to run ultra marathons. We've done all kinds of local adventures. He was my buddy on the Longs Peak Triathlon here where we rode our bikes 44 miles from Boulder to the Longs Peak Trailhead, climbed a 14,000-foot peak via a technical route called Keener's Route. And we reversed it all back to Boulder, so it was like a 90-mile day with gosh, how many miles of hiking, like 14 miles on the trail, thousands of feet of climbing. And it was just, uh, it was so awesome. And we've done all kinds of other things like that. So always a pleasure to talk to him. He's one of the best coaches I've met for sure. He thinks deeply about fitness. He thinks deeply about nutrition. He always has a why and a reason for an opinion, which I really appreciate and really respect today, especially where there's, you know, a lot of stuff being said without much behind it. So Please enjoy our conversation and I got to give him a shout out. He started his new training business this year. You can check him out at lifewithadventure.com. I'll put a link in the show notes, but if you're looking for some training, he does do virtual training and especially if you're kind of have like an adventure slant, whether it's climbing, trail running, paddle boarding, anything outdoor related, I think he'd be a great resource for you. So definitely check him out. And please enjoy our conversation. Here we go. I saw your latest post, Movement is Medicine. Do you want to talk about that? No, I think I think you probably inspired inspired me that one time I saw one of your posts where you were like you were like something about like you just needed to like get the funk out. I can't remember what it was. I just remember you said exactly <laughs> that. I just need to get the funk out. And it was like you know, it's kind of like my daily ritual too. If I'm, if I'm working, it's like, I'm not really these days, personally, I'm not really training. Cause I'm like, I've got some like goal that's like coming up. I'm, I'm more training for like that emotional health. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Like movement is medicine. I just feel better when I get up and like move. Right. And so I think it was kind of like one of your posts where you were like, oh, I don't know, man, I just need to get this funk out. And I was like, <laughs> it's kind of how I've been feeling. I don't know, since uh, Thanksgiving, maybe. Okay. It's like busy with like work and stuff like that. And it's like, just need to get up and just like, that's, that's how I feel better, you know? For sure. For sure. Just get up and just start moving. Right. Yeah. I wonder, you know, like talking to, ever since I talked to Logan, man, like I just feel like I opened a door to like movement Narnia or training Narnia. And I, (laughs) you know, I'm just starting to kind of uh, internalize it all. But I really, you know, the more I think about it, like when I was a ranger and a firefighter, like all I did, all I did was essentially move all day, you know, and it was, you could do a day in and day out. And, you know, there's guys that were 50 years old doing the same thing and they, they never, they, they seem to thrive from it versus like break down. So I just, 
I wonder if our whole paradigm is just wrong, which I think there's a lot of arguments for that just with the work situation and, you know, pounding keys all day and all that. And, you know, even when I was training, like you know what I did the other day, which I, I must have, I must have done like four or five different, like 10 minute workouts throughout the day. Right. And it just like, man, I, I just, it just kept this energy level high. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, my living room sort of becomes my office if I'm not at the gym. So I've got just like dumbbells and shit everywhere. I bought an assault bike. So it's like, I'll just get up and bust out like six intervals on the bike. It takes eight minutes. Right. And then I'm back to work for like two hours. And then I'll get up and I did like, you know, a couple of complimentary push-pull movements back to work another two hours, you know. I do think I just did that. It was like, I just greased the groove basically, but not every hour on the hour. I just did it like every couple of hours or whenever I felt like I needed a break. Sure. Like, like I, my, <laughs> you know, it is, you're just like on the computer too much or whatever. And I'm just like, dude, I need to move. Right. I've always, I want to, I really, this is a project I want to start on sooner and later, but I want to create like a program that essentially, instead of like, you know, a traditional wad where it's, you do it all in this chunk, like program that, that daily movement throughout the day. You know what I mean? It's, um, I've been trying to find examples of it. I, I mean, there's grease the groove and stuff like that, but I haven't found like a more holistic, comprehensive program. I think a lot of it too, is just mindset. Like you know, go by feel and that, that I think, you know, someone like yourself that comes with age and experience. So yeah, I don't know. Definitely experience, right. Cause like you and I don't have to think about what we're doing. Whereas like a lot of my clients tell me, they're like, I don't want to think, right. I just want you to tell me what to do. Right. And it's like, I totally get that. Cause I'm sure there's areas in my life that I'm sort of in that realm, right? Like let's say dinner. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. Just tell me what to cook. And I'm like, bam, 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 chopping the vegetables or something like that. I, you know what I'm saying? Right. So like, I get it. Some of my clients, they're just like, dude, I come here cause I know that I get to shoot the shit with you. I don't have to think about what we're doing. They trust me. And I just tell them what to do. Right. How do you, how so do you, it's easier for you and I to do it? For sure. For sure. Well that, yeah. I think that's something Logan touched on as well. Was like kind of, there's the, there's the, you know, literal training side, but then also like, developing kind of kind of being more of a guide and developing that mindset and philosophy of just how do you how do you move throughout your day or how how is how do you incorporate movement into your life one thing i want to ask how do you assess someone before you start training them personally how do i assess somebody how do you like if you have a new if you have a new client what's your kind of first how are you assessing them to decide what to actually do in a training session I mean, shoulders, hips, knees, ankles, just have them move, squats, hinges, any kind of push-pull pattern that's light. Um, usually just a conversation about, like, lifestyle, um, pain. Right. You know, um, you know I, I recently started training a mom. She's got two teenage kids. One's about to go to um, college, so she's kind of, like, dealing with that sort of stress or whatever. The other one's 14. And, um, she's got a shoulder impingement, you know, and it's just like right away, just talking to her about like, you know, how do you feel? Like, like what's going on? She's like, well, my shoulder, you know, it doesn't feel great. And then she had, um, she had surgery on her, on her ankle and a little while ago. And she's so like avoiding 
you know, range of motion in her ankle. She's got some issues down there. So really just conversations about health. How does your body feel? What's, what's going on there? And then just watching them move, but looking at ankles, looking at knees, looking at hips, um, shoulders, shoulders. I personally think shoulders and, um, hips are the big, big determining factor, but that's usually how I do it. Okay. I mean, I don't have like, you know, a prescribed like exercise that I have people do like the overhead squat or something like that. Um, it's more of just like squat patterns, hinge patterns, any kind of push pull and just see how they feel. Um, some of it too is like individual goals. If that makes sense. Cause it's like, I don't know what, what's your personal, um, what's your personal goal? I'm not going to test you on like, you know, pulling from the floor or something like that, but everybody should be able to squat. Everybody should be able to hinge without pain. Everybody should be able to pull, you know, something without pain. Right. Right. So, you, so like, kind of those, those patterns. Right. Yeah. You can, you can just see someone move. You can send it, see these, you know, have someone squat, do all these different exercises, and then you can intuitively kind of figure out, okay, they have uh, challenges here and they are efficient there and you can go from there type of thing. Yeah. Like if we start warming up, um, just moving around, I, I start to watch their knees. Are, are their knees just like all over the place, constantly moving, or are they able to like stabilize the knee? Um, and usually what that is going to tell me is like, what's going on in their hip? Like, do they, can they even access, um, and control their, like, you know, that whole pelvic girdle, the, all the internal rotators of the, the hip, glute medius, glute minimus, you know, obturator internus, like, do they have control of those muscles? Are they able to tap into that strength? Um, majority of people can't. Sure. Maybe it's because of the sedentary lifestyle, everybody's sitting down all the time. Sure, sure. Kind of scapular control. Right, right. That's a huge one, man. Watch somebody do a dumbbell row and just watch what happens to their shoulder. Just doop. It either <laughs> elevates or it rotates forward. Zero scapular control. So just stuff like that. Okay, okay. Kind of shifting a little bit, but – and we, we talked about this just one-on-one, but what what pushed you to go out on your own and kind of do your own training, hopefully open your own space? Like – not necessarily from a more from like a philosophical standpoint than like a personal relationship standpoint. What was that? Was there anything specific or is it just there was one final straw that broke the back or what was that? Uh, you know, I think if you're going to be in, you know, health and wellness, you got to have like principles, right? You got to have values. And, um, they, they need, they're pretty deep, right? Those are things that you believe in. That's kind of why you got in the business in the first place. And, um, you know, I just, maybe looking at where I was, I saw that there's a better way. Um, maybe looking at where I was, I also realized that um, my principles and my values, um, I want to express them differently. Okay. Through- that okay. makes sense. No, no, it totally makes sense. You know, you know, talking about like, I mean, cro- CrossFit and intensity and some of the like required, they're not required, but like the more often perf- um, performed movements, it's just like, there's just a better way. There's a better way to move efficiently. There's a better culture um, to really focus on like efficiency of movement versus how many reps, what was your time? Right. Right. That kind of thing. Sure. Sure. 
Yeah, no, that um, because I remember we were talking about like you know those early main site wads like oh six two thousand six and just how the workout and just the whole culture shifted around CrossFit specifically and it's hard for me to really pinpoint exactly, but I don't know. I just remember there was a and maybe I just because I, I got older or I'm less fit or whatever, but I remember there was a time where I could do you know what I thought was a pretty challenging wad and then you know go run or hike or climb whatever. But in the last two, three years, I felt like maybe the, I think it honestly was just a volume thing. Like I just felt so broken down and maybe it was too much of a specific exercise or whatever, but I guess what, what do you, how do you see yourself branching off differently from the kind of current state of CrossFit and what you want to do? I think it's for sure. It's the, um, like movement patterns, um, I feel like um, competitive CrossFit can get stuck in certain movement patterns, snatches, kipping, fucking toes, burpees. <laughs> um, just I, I love burpees, right? I right. Get a, I do love burpees, but there's, I mean, gosh, man, there's got to be fifty different ways you can do a burpee. But I constantly see one way. Right, right. That's inefficient, lazy, you know. Um, so I, I think like a different, um, I don't know how to describe it. Different movement patterns, more more creativity. Right? Sure, sure. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I guess, and I, I did notice that like you were training to get so good at, you know, whatever, snatching or kipping pull-ups, whatever, that the variety of potential was ignored and it, for the sake of getting really good at that one thing because that was what you were going to be measured on, like in, in an event or the Open or whatever. Walking, yeah, in the two competitions that you do a year. Right, 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 right. It, what, this kind of segues in. I want to ask you, are there benchmarks you personally find exceptionally useful to, like, assess someone's fitness level and they could be like a specific baseline or something relative like you know deadlifting two times your body weight or you know can you improve by x percentage something like that do you have any like personal benchmarks you really like to use gosh man it's it's really personal right right Let's say you're 62 years old and you um you really just want to be able to ride your bike like 50 miles a week. Maybe, right. maybe you get outside two, three times a week and, you know, you want to crush 20 to 30 miles each time, something like that, right? So what's what's relative to that person? Well, um, you know, good core strength, you know, be able to move pain-free, be able to ride your bike 20, 30 miles and then still have energy to like – go out for dinner and have that sort of just like mental focus to be engaged. Right. And not just kind of like, I'm so tired because I worked out super hard for 14 minutes. Right. You know, that sort of thing. So it's like physical benchmarks. I think it's different um, for everybody. Maybe I, you got, you know, somebody who's, you know, 48, they're just really starting to lift weights. Um, and they're really just 
you know, falling in love with um, some of the power lifts, maybe it's a deadlift, something like that. And so, you know, I can talk to them individually about like how long it's going to take you to get to a body weight, um, you know, percentage deadlift, uh, back squat, things like that. You know, um, for me personally, I think it's like, it's pull-ups, it's a mile run, um, deadlifts, back squats. Yeah. All that stuff for me personally. For sure. Yeah. For, for the individual client, it's, it's different, man. I don't like force any one thing on anybody because again, it goes back to that thing. Like, dude, if you just want to ride your bike, why, why do you need to do snatches? Sure. Sure. You know, sure ton of other cool shit that you can do besides snatches don't get me wrong i I love snatches you know me dude we oh we we love olympic weightlifting big big walls and big snatches man (laughs) yeah exactly yeah no i yeah i don't and just for anyone listening i don't want to i i love i you know i've been doing crossfit for gosh almost 20 years now and uh i love olympic weightlifting you know michael you were probably one of the best regional competitors a few years back. I mean, you were winning like every competition you did, man, in Colorado. I had a, I had a decent stretch. You had a good, you had a good run, man. But what, what always impressed me about that was like, you know, you would, you would coach all day. You would do, you would work out on your own and then we'd go climb like hard routes, you know, and like the energy level never seemed to, to drop off. Yeah, honestly, I I do feel like um, there is a ceiling for that, um, for that intensity. But for how how often, how many times can you stay in that um, that zone of like maximal intensity? Right, right. You know, if I'm doing it every day, doing it every day, sometimes twice a day, I'm doing it. You know, for two, three, five, seven years. I mean, there is a ceiling. For, I feel like for how much you can actually handle, uh, at least for me personally, and I know there's some freak athletes out there and that's genetics, right? You know, like there's just some people that can survive that, that type of training because of their genetics. I mean, it's kind of like what Logan said in one of his, you know, one of his podcasts, just, um, the training didn't make them that way. They were that way and they've just sort of survived the training. Right. Right. For sure. Well, you know, actually, have my notes are I have. I wanted to get your opinion on this, but I've noticed guys like Chris Spieler, Matt Chan. I saw Kelly Sturette got a new knee. Did you see that knee replacement? And it's like I was just like, man, I wonder if these guys essentially just wore the gears out with you know so much volume. Like, and I, I heard I think it was the guy. I want to say it's mountain athlete the head coach of that, I can't remember his name, but I thought I heard him on a podcast talking about like he was having knee issues and he was, you know, kind of reflecting, well, his his reasoning was it was a super high volume of kind of like light to medium load squats was his um, hypothesis. But I, you know, just looking at these guys, like, I wonder if things like that might not be conducive to like joint health and longevity. You know what I mean? Hell no. But, you know, those guys also are training. I mean, they're training with that intensity, but at a super high level. Right. right? Like, they're training at the highest level. Right. And I, yeah, I think eventually there's, 
diminishing returns. Right, right. Well, that that like you know, you know what surprised me too is I, I I don't really pay attention to it much these days, but somebody had shot me a text. You know Josh Rollins, right? Yeah, yeah. He so he shot me a text and he was like, "What do you think about this Matt Frazier, um, Rich Froning thing?" And I was like, "I dude, I got no idea. What are you talking about? Is it a training program or what?" No, 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 I don't know. There was some kind of social media beef. It was, it was totally silly. Um, uh, you know, you're talking about the two best athletes in the sport of CrossFit. Okay. You know, one person said something. Maybe it was taken out of context. Who, who knows, really? Okay. And, but anyway, it was like every podcast, every CrossFit, blah, 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 like wanted to talk about it. And like, oh, these two guys got beef, whatever. But I, I he sent me one of these videos. I watched like five, six minutes of it. And um, – Rich Froning said something about how he couldn't squat for like two years, right? Because of he had knee pain. And he said tendonitis or like whatever, right? And he was like, yeah, I couldn't squat for like two years. And he was like, I didn't want to go to the gym and be around somebody who could do like everything. And I was like, damn, the fittest dude in the world at one point couldn't squat for like two years without like without pain. I mean, right away, red flag. But again, you know, I mean, this dude's training at the highest level. So you make – when you're at that level, you're going to make sacrifices, right? For sure. He's, he's trying to be um, – he was CrossFit Games champion. Then he was team champion for X amount of years. He's still at a high level, still a part of his brand. I'm like, but, bro, you can't squat. Like, pretty much the most basic movement pattern, you know? Sure. I have to find it and I'll send it to you. But I remember just being like, what? What is he saying right now? Right. And then to top it all off, I mean, then, then there's that emotional stress that he's, that he kind of tapped into. And he's like, um, I didn't want to be around somebody who could do all these things. And I couldn't. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Like that emotional stress that in and of itself is huge for health. Right. Like if I don't have that emotional health of like, okay, I kind of, and I'm comfortable here and I'm happy, I'm thriving, but now I don't want to be around people, especially this type of person. It's, I don't know, it kind of blew me away, but just talking about like health and longevity and you couldn't squat for two years. Right, it's right. not like four or five months where you're kind of like, ah, it hurt and I fixed it. No, you couldn't do it for two years. He said that specifically, two years. I'll have to find it. Soon. Okay, okay. Well, that's what I keep hearing in this kind of like general conversation of health and wellness is like perf- training for performance or at least elite performance is, is not – always or maybe not at all uh, conducive to health and wellness. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like it used to be the healthiest we used to think, or at least in the fitness space, it was like people were like, yeah, triathletes, marath- these are like the fittest, healthiest people. But that wasn't true. And then CrossFit came along and everyone's like, oh, these are the fittest, healthiest people. But at that elite level, again, I think it's this weird fallacy of like that elite – it's really a specific sport in a way um, – even though they do a bunch of different shit, but that's kind of where I'm at. Like trying to figure out, okay, how do I, I don't want to grind the gears out, man. and have to get new knees like K star, you know? And, uh, you know, looking at someone like, you know, coach Bill, Wright, You know, that dude, as far as I can tell, seems in pretty good health and he's getting after it all the time, doing a bunch of different stuff. And he trained, you know, I, I, he trains a little bit, I think, but nothing like, what someone in like a CrossFit gym or, you know, like facility is doing. So I just wonder like, what's the right path? 
You know what's cool about Bill Wright's training too is a lot of it I feel like is just fun for him. Mm-hmm. Right? So his his training's not necessarily like this super intense like stuff. He's just like, well, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna do these two things um at like, you know, low to moderate intensity and I'm gonna do it with like a bunch of cool people that I like, or at least we share a common interest and we're going to have a good time doing it. So it's kind of like, he's also kind of taking these things that he enjoys and like turning it into training. You know, yeah, I feel like you and I were doing that. Um, when we, when we started training for the long speed triathlon, right. We yeah. You know, I had never done that kind of stuff before. So it was like, yeah, figure out these fun, creative ways to ride your bike for like 20 miles. And then also like, you know, go scramble on some rocks and then, you know, go bust out, you know, 21, 59 kettlebell swings and burpees. Right, right. Totally. Because we love that shit. Hell yeah. All day, son. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of feel like that's that's his MO. It's like he's really just sort of having fun, but that is his training. Right. Yeah, he's like playing. I don't don't know what he does in the climbing gym or like, you know, what he does for strength training. But as far as I can tell, man, like, you know, I know him and his son. I know him and Derek were like going to the gym and like, you know, if he was trying to you know, red point something or climb hard or if they're prepping for whatever, you know, he has like kind of a template it seems, but in general, it just seems like you said he's playing with his buddies just out in the mountains, you know? And I, I remember, I think it was a movie called take every wave. It was Laird Hamilton. Have you seen that? It's really good. But uh, I think his wife is talking about how Laird's like, you know, he's doing this hardcore shit, but he's basically just playing all day long. And because of that has had this kind of, longevity even though he's got some gnarly injuries which you know big wave surfing big wave surfing is it's hard to avoid but yeah i was just i was thinking about that just seeing all these guys that i used to be like oh man i want to train like spieler or whoever and now they like you know they can't do anything you know it's i don't i I just i don't want to be in that same spot so i'm i don't know what to do (laughs) but goes back to just that movement is medicine right right just just move for move for your emotional well-being well-being you know move for your emotional state just move because it like gets that energy flowing right what? versus just like i don't know just like i i remember a while ago somebody was like they were like if you end up on your back at the end of a workout it's like a sign of weakness Right. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I guess if you went super hard, you're probably going to want to lay down. And I, I've definitely tapped into that before. Right. Right. I've definitely been there, especially in the CrossFit open. Right. It's like so competitive. Um, you get to like another level that you probably didn't think that you were, you were capable of doing. And then where do you end up just on the ground riding <laughs> back and forth? You're just like this, what's going on with my body. Right. I don't know if it's a sign of weakness, but at the same time, it's kind of like, just, I just don't feel like you should live in that space all the time. It's not healthy. And then how long can you actually do it for? Right. If there's diminishing returns before the body starts to break down. So it's like, I don't know, slow down a little bit. For sure. Yeah. No, it's, um, intensity is the key. I still think there's a way to find intensity, but just moving a different way. Right. Well, and that's where like the variety I think can come in or, you know, the skill acquisition and all that. And, you know, again, for, for the monkeys listening, like the, I'm not trying to say never go hard or never end up on the floor. It's just the, the regularity with which you do that, I think needs to be reconsidered is all, but 
Yeah, man. No, I think um, I, I've been listening to Erwin LaCour a lot and, you know, guys like Logan and just trying to think like, okay, what, how else can I expand this, this movement toolbox, you know? So I was actually looking at uh, doing some more BJJ. I did it for like a month, but it was just, it was the timing and the price wasn't right, but that's something I've never done. So it's such a new skill development. Hell yeah. But, um, rock climbing and jujitsu. I'll get you in shape. Yeah, no, it's, you know, again, thinking about Bill Wright's, like, if you look at the stuff he's doing, it's very, it's stuff with which the body seems well adapted to handle a lot of, like, hiking, trail running, climbing, things like that, where, again, I just don't know if doing hundreds or thousands of, you know, squats is going to be the best medicine for my knees, so... Not if we're looking for long-term health. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you want to be a games champion, then fuck yeah, you better do that. But, yeah, if you want to be 80. The local, the local CrossFit competition, if that's, if that's your, you know, if that's your journey, then you're going to have to. Right. Which is okay, you know. That's okay. Yeah. Has, has, I think, like, it, it is okay, you know, um... If that's your goal, it's. I think it's important to be adaptive constantly in your in your fitness career. Like, right? So, you know, Bill Wright is super into these like long adventure objectives, right? And they combine you know, cycling. He does crazy cool bike rides, multi day bike rides. Um, he does these crazy, awesome mountaineering you know objectives. What was the one he just did? Like fourteen different peaks with fourteen different people, or something like that. I was wondering what that was. I I saw yeah, glimpses of pretty it. Pretty cool, like that. He's always coming up with stuff like that. You know, he's climbed Long's Peak like eighty different ways with probably eighty different people or something. Maybe he climbed it like twelve. What was it? Long's Peak once a month. Long's Peak project, yeah, once a month via a different route for a year. Fucking incredible, you know rock climbing i mean those are like three different sports that he's sort of tapping into these like creative creative ways and maybe you're not an adventure athlete right um so maybe your first journey in like you know your fitness career is like tough mutters or right. spartan race or whatever you know those those things like that's the first kind of like boom all right, well, I did one, and then the next year I've done two or three, and then the, maybe the next year I do another three, but now I'm kind of like, you know, what's the next thing? And then you're like, holy cow, you ever heard of this thing called CrossFit? So now you go to CrossFit, and then the learning curve is pretty, I don't know, it's pretty steep. It takes you a year or so to learn, you know, double unders and how to kip and Olympic weightlifting and how to do all that stuff under duress or like, you know, a higher elevated heart rate. And then you're like, okay, I do my first CrossFit competition. And then the next year, oh, wow, I've done two and I've done the open. And then the third year, I'm like, my knee hurts and my shoulder hurts every goddamn day. And, you know, maybe I'm going to switch it up now. And now I'm getting into, I'm going to run a marathon because that's what I did when I was 20. And, you know, that sort of thing. And it's just being adaptive and constantly sort of like changing. Right. Um, so I forget even what my point was, but <laughs> I think in just in your fitness career, it's just important to constantly change and like grow and learn and try new cool stuff and and i think that's definitely a part of staying healthy and having like you know healthy knees and a healthy back and a healthy shoulder 10 15 20 years into your fitness career i mean you and i were both college athletes and here we are 20 years later and how do we feel okay right yeah it's life you know there's these 
ebbs and flows, right? With life, that's just the way it is. Sometimes I'm going to slip on the ice and, oh, I hit my elbow, whatever. And it might take time to recover. But in that, you know, from our teenage years to now, we're like, you know, businessmen, dads, whatever. It's important to change and be adaptive and learn and grow and try new things like for health and longevity. For sure. Yeah, I think I'm constantly fighting my like, you know, 20 20 year old brain that I literally, I, I, heart, I, 20 year old heart. I feel that way. I, I feel <laughs> mentally, you know, it's, I always thought, I, I thought, you know, looking at my parents growing up, I, I just thought when you became a dad and seeing other dads growing up too, like tucked in shirt glasses, you know, white tennis shoes. I just thought you changed mentally, you know, as you got older and became a parent, but I, I, I don't really feel that much different. 20 year old heart, man. Yeah, it's like, gosh, man, I wrestled for 18 years, right? And so, like, I don't know how how I really was in the beginning of it, but towards the end, there's just that passion, that drive to be a champion, right? And then at the end of your wrestling career, there's, you know, the evolution of your your fitness career. You're trying other things, you know? Um, and But it's like that passion is still in the heart. So sometimes when I'm training, I'm just like, I have to, oh, easy, buddy, right. easy. You're not 20 anymore. Right. Um, well, I forget too. Like, I want to get you... after it, man. Oh yeah. My girlfriend and I did a workout in the living room uh, yesterday, and it is interesting because you know, I mean, I'm 41, so it takes me a lot longer to warm up. Right. One. Um. But then, man, once I got warmed up, it was like, oh, that 20 year old butt kicked in, and I was like, <laughs> I was on it. I felt good, but it just took me half the workout to warm up. Right. Right. Totally. <laughs> I wonder. Or, and I forget too, like I was 25 pounds heavier, you know, and I always compare myself to like, you know, weights and benchmarks and whatever I was doing at that age and, and weight now, you know, as I've whittled down a little bit, just it's, it's, I almost need like a mental reset, just a new baseline of fitness to base off of versus like a different person, you know, but one thing I want to ask you is. I think because we met in 2013, I'll never forget. Hey, I'm Michael Butts. I like to rock climb and do CrossFit. Want to be friends? <laughs> but uh, no, I want to ask you: is it is there like a tangible difference in the way you train people from kind of that time when we first met to now, or is is the exercises methods more or less the same, but maybe just a little more nuanced for the individual as you've gained more knowledge and all that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I guess like, I mean, early on in my training career, I think I was doing personal training for about a year and a half before I started working at a CrossFit gym. And I started working at a CrossFit gym because uh, I loved the culture at the time. Um, It was just like we said, it was like slightly different early on, right? Um. And, but at that time when I was training people, I was training people to help them develop CrossFit skills, right? right. Um, the upper body strength to do kipping, you know, pull-ups and, and things like that, you know, the skills to walk on your hands or just to balance on your hand, to do a handstand push-up, to do, to jump a rope. I mean, it's just amazing how many people struggle with jumping a rope. It is incredible to me. And then you're like, here's a barbell, snatch this right, thing over totally. here. I'm like, what? You can't even jump a rope, man. Right. Um, and so, you know, 
I guess now I just realize that those things aren't the most important. There are other more important movement patterns um, that will help build a solid base and a foundation that will ultimately lead to you having the ability to do those things. Right. But it's like without that base, without that foundation, and you're just like, here, let's learn double unders. No, bro. You know why I can do hundreds of double unders is because I grew up wrestling and in wrestling practice, we would skip rope constantly. I mean, I have two decades of skipping rope, all kinds of different stuff, right? right. There's an incredible foundation and base there that allowed me to like tap into, but then somebody comes in off the street and they're like, yeah, this workout has double unders and let me teach you. No, there's stepping stones to that, man. So now I just kind of like get back to the basics, right? Um, you know, how do I help somebody develop, you know, good upper body strength before I even, before we even begin the conversation of what a kipping pull up is and whether or not you should even be doing it. There's still this space and this foundation. So that's kind of what I focus on now. Not kind of, that's exactly what I focus on. There's stepping stones. You have to have that base. You have to have that foundation. You can't, I mean, I just, I just don't think you can walk in off the street. There are people that can, that they're, you know, like us, they're ex-athletes, Right. You'll see like somebody who was an ex gymnast all the time. They're able to just sort of pick up on those um, CrossFit skills pretty quickly because they have that base. They might've been, uh, um, you know, they might've been, you know, not moving there for a little while, kind of in a different uh, lifestyle, but then once they get back into it, they get it really quick. So that's, that's, you know, that's what I focus on now. Okay. Versus like, let me teach you how to snatch. It's like, "Mm." Well, I remember training at a, you know, like a corporate gym, you know, there was, there's people that came in from, you know, like India where these people come in, they're super smart, but they never like physical fitness and training was just not a part of their culture growing up. And just, they have none of it. To me, it's like a neuromuscular thing. They just don't, they don't, they never quote unquote learned those neural pathways. And so it was just developing like it literally engaging muscles for possibly the first time. So that was always really fascinating for me to see. And it really hammered home that like training age concept you just described. But are there, are there any, like, what are those fundamentals or those foundational movement patterns or principles that you try to build first and someone that's like a non-athlete? I mean, Hinging patterns, okay. Push pull patterns, squat patterns. Um, you know, isometrics, eccentrics, contractions. Basically, break it down to the simple, simple stuff. I mean, I, I know it's like I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 funny. It's startling you know you're just like what how is it even possible that you are unable to tap into the muscles that are on your body like you just don't have that uh motor you know control right it's amazing like how how is this possible what have we become that as a human you aren't able to do this and then you know i feel bad too because sometimes like they walk in and here we've got um Running, burpee, box jump overs, and pull-ups. Just whatever. 
and you're just like dude you can't control your body like how you know what I'm talking about? like there before you even get into running and burpee box jumps there's like got to build the base man for sure for sure isometrics eccentrics contractions hinge patterns push-pull patterns squat patterns lunge patterns things like that right what's so fascinating to me too with kids now is like you know watching my older daughter like i was talking before i started recording but she's been like climbing on this wall we have and she moves really well and it's it's very instinctual for her and like watching her squat it's a beautiful it's a perfect squat and i've i know you know, I see people posting all the time, kids with this like perfect squat pattern, the way she picks stuff up off the floor, just the way she moves. It's so instinctual and intuitive. I just, I wonder where, where does, where does that disconnect happen? Cause I, I suspect most people are like that, you know, with relative, with relative degrees of efficiency when they're younger, but where does that like get cut off? And then, you know, you show up middle-aged in, in one of our uh, respective <laughs> gyms or offices Teenagers playing video games, college, sitting down all day, get a job, sit down more. It's so, it's just, yeah, no, it's just, um, you don't have like, it's an easy you don't have those interests, right? Those things that keep you moving, mm-hmm. you know, your fitness career. Right. Sort of. It's like your body. I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, and this guy, it was interesting. This guy was talking about, um, health, longevity, health and wellness. And he was talking about like functional, the word functional. And he was like, what is functional for an Uber driver? He's like, does an Uber driver need to do snatches? Right. And it was interesting, right? Cause I, you know, I was inclined to be like, okay, I agree with you. Does an Uber driver need to do snatches? No. However, once you've experienced what your body is capable of doing, I feel like that has the potential to drive you into these areas. They should into other areas to like, well, damn, like I'm feeling pretty good. I, now I want to play basketball. Damn, I'm feeling pretty good. I want to climb a 14er. Never even been in the mountains, you know. Damn, I'm feeling pretty good. I want to try, you know. A 10K, you know, like just as an example. So it was like, you know, he was talking about like what's functional. Do these people need to be doing this? But no, but if we can do certain movements and then develop your body, eventually that leads to, I feel like it should, that should lead to this like, you want to express movement or like, you know, harness the ability that your body has. You know what I'm talking about? And then just start doing other rad shit. It should open up doors. But then again, I, get, I think that's like, what kind of culture are you a part of? What kind of tribe are you a part of? You know? For sure. I don't know. I don't think bodybuilders are doing that kind of stuff. Maybe they are. Right. I mean, I, but isn't it just the feel, like the feel good to me is enough in a way. Like as long as you feel good, like the Uber driver snatching, like maybe they don't need to snatch, but they probably want to feel good. And I bet if they're driving all day long, they don't feel that good. So it's like, if they can at least feel good, that's a win. And then, yeah, maybe they go, you know, take it a step further, but. They get another job. Right. Yeah, exactly. You feel, you realize how good you can feel. So you, yeah. Yeah. You know, it should be a stepping stone that leads to just a better life. Right. Uber driver now, um, maybe he has two ab muscles popping out and he can do eight, 10, 12 pull-ups. Right. Right. 
he's feeling a little bit confident about himself or she, you know, right. And then now because he's got, you know, this self-esteem, this self-confidence with his body, he meets somebody and that person's really into bike riding and playing Frisbee golf. And then now he's like really into these two things. And then he meets somebody else that leads to this. And I don't know, I feel like it's a stepping stone, right? Take this like, you know, through movement, you can develop and like grow your life into like bigger and better things. For sure. For sure. And that seems like it's existed, you know, since the beginning of time for people, at least, you know, that's always been like the call to adventure. That's always been kind of the ideal, the, the hunter, you know, the person that was physically capable. For you and I, that's our call. Oh, but I can, I, to, I can totally get it, man. Somebody's like, I don't know. You, you just don't have the knowledge. You hurt your knee. Okay. So, all right. I can't do my job that I used to do. So I get a job as an Uber driver, right? Sure. Now I can't stay awake. So I'm drinking sugar coffees and I'm eating, you know, puff pastries while I'm driving around town. Okay. Oh, I've put on 15, 20 pounds and I feel horrible. And it's just this gross cycle that continues to like downward spiral. Right. Right. But then maybe one day the guy wakes up and he's like, you know, I need to get in shape. I'm going to try CrossFit. Totally. Okay, cool. Well, with the right training or with the right sort of like progressions, you know, that guy can get to, you know, low his, lower his body fat and sleeping better and get to six, eight, ten pull-ups. And, and then that leads to other things. It should. It does. For sure. For sure. I, I try to remember specifically, but you know, you, you said you'd listen to that episode with Logan Schwartz a few times. And I wanted to ask you, well, I have three questions specifically, but the first is what were the principles that stood out the most to you versus the specifics? What principles stood out the most from him? Oh man. Principles. Um, you know, I, well, let me just digest that one for a little bit. There's a lot, right? Um, I remember, I remember one thing that he said that stood out that I, I've just sort of always felt and believed in my heart, um, but had a different way of. I, I just didn't quite know how to express its importance. Right. But he was like talking. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was somebody who can back squat. 400 pounds or whatever, but they can't sit into the bottom of a squat. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Right. And so it was kind of like, oh, wow, good job. But really? Like, you know what I'm talking about? And I, you know, I just feel like, you know, I try, I, I try to make people when I, when I train people, I try to make them into this, just like, you should have great mobility. Your, Your body should be able to move in great ranges of motion with zero pain. Right. Right. And then on top of that, you can develop strength and skills. Right. Right. And I just remember, like, I know so many people like that. I know so many people who can express these, like they can squat hundreds of pounds, but can't sit in a squat or they're just in pain constantly. And I just don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm like, I want to high five and be like, yeah, cool, dude. But you can't sit in the bottom of the squat. It's crazy. Right. Right. 
So I, I don't know if it's principles or values, but I remember that stood out like right away to me. It's kind of like one of those just red flags on like, what are you doing? How are you capable of doing this? But you can't do the most basic thing, which is just, how can you shit in the woods if you can't sit in the squats, dude? <laughs> Guess what? You're probably not going in the woods. Exactly. Exactly. Well, no, I just remember hearing uh, Steffi Cohen on Tim Ferriss's podcast and she was talking about how, you know, at, after all these training cycles before competition, she's strong as shit, like just jacked out of her mind. But, you know, going up the stairs is like a legitimate challenge. And how, well, it just made me think of how becoming so specifically adapted and elite at one thing means you're sacrificing so many other things. So I just, I realized like, I just want to be, I want to be the best at being 80% good at everything. That's all I want. I think that's a good, good way to approach it. No, I agree hundred percent, but it's like, I don't know if, you know, I just saw Anton Krupichna did uh rim to rim to rim like two days ago or something like that. Did you see that? Oh, did he? Yeah. Did he do the alt route? He did the shorter version. He didn't swim though. <laughs> I'm down, man. I'm down. Cannot believe the like one-upmanship of some of the crazy shit that people do and look that, that, so, so what we're talking about is these guys they're doing the double crossing of the grand canyon but they're there's essentially like a shortcut where you swim across the river to to lessen the mileage so you can go faster essentially but is it a shortcut i, I thought that. so yeah i thought it was just a way to make it harder instead of running across i, the bridge, I these think it's a shortcut no i didn't know that but uh yeah, man. Well, because I think if you go South Kaibab, you basically have to traverse the river back down to the bridge that meets up with Bright Angel. But I think if you swim, you can kind of avoid that traverse potentially. I don't know for sure, so I could be corrected. But uh, just seeing Anton, it's like, you know, that dude's been, I feel like, constantly hurt for like as long as I've known of him, you know, because he's just every day just grinding away, which I just don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, he seems to be really happy doing it, but I'm just trying to figure out like for me, just like, I don't know. Do I need to do that stuff how, to, to how feel good? Anton? How old is Anton? I don't know. I feel like he's, I don't know, late thirties, early forties. I, th I'm, I know for sure he's a few years older than me. So I'm assuming late thirties, early forties, but it's cool he did it. He said he's feeling pretty good, but I know he's just had that, you know, Achilles issues for years now from just ridiculous mileage, which the, I think he did, he just did it in like seven and a half hours too, which I think, I think that route, I think that way is 42 miles. It's definitely a lot shorter than the Bright Angel way, but, um, you know, that's like 10, 11 minute miles. With that crazy elevation, I just, he's a freak, man. But where am, I, where am I going with this point? Oh, yeah, I just, you know, I see someone like him and, like, taking a snapshot of his day, like, what he's doing. I don't know if I did that, one, if I would enjoy it or if it would really, I feel like it would just break me down personally. But, you know, he's a different athlete, so. Years and years of developing that base, that foundation to move in the mountains at long duration years. I mean, guy was a hundred mile 
one of the best in the world. Oh yeah, for sure. But you know, I think back to when we did long speak triathlon, like I remember the next day I was tired, but I wasn't that beat up. Like there's definitely CrossFit workouts where I felt way worse than the day after long speak triathlon. So it just makes me think like, you know, maybe things like that are more conducive to like the Bill Wright style, you know, just your training is your training. Adventure is your training. Yeah, definitely. Depending on what your goals are, for sure. I mean, you and I and that little, like, our <clears throat> our outdoor culture, our adventure, our adventure pursuits, you know? Mm-hmm. But if we can inspire, you know, if we can inspire the freaking world to get out there and do that type of stuff, you know, even if it's just a Tough Mudder or a Spartan or whatever, get outside, you know? Right. Yeah, I think, and that's what I hated about when I was coaching. I, I felt like everything was done for the gym and performing in the gym versus, you know, climbing or whatever. And then when I did go do that stuff, I was so beat down from, you know, snatching too much or whatever, you know, I'd be, I'd be bummed because I couldn't climb something I thought I should be able to or whatever, but on culture and communication, man, you know, if you have the right culture, I think it's possible to, um, you know, to train people to want to do those things. And, you know, if you have the ability to communicate that this is what we're doing, right. This is why, this is what it's all about. You know, there's gyms all throughout the front range with that. Their entire culture is about what's happening inside. Sure. Yeah. They might have uh, fitness in a hundred words on the wall painted somewhere that says regularly practice, you know, or what does it say? Regularly learn, you know, new sports, but learn plenty of sports. Yeah. No, they, they might, um, they might go climb a 14 year once in a summer and post it on Instagram. And Sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, the snatch keeps getting brought up, but if there was one exercise you could move from the training toolbox, what would it be? Get rid of it. If you could get rid of one exercise, what do you think it would be? Oh, kipping for sure. Okay. Kipping in general or Does that count. Is that, sure. Is that yeah. What you mean by exercise? Yeah. Yeah. Kipping, yeah. kipping handstand pushups, kipping pull-ups. What else do you kip? I mean, if there was a, a ranking system to it, kipping handstand pushups for sure. What the are you doing? <laughs> you. The last time we talked, you mentioned that. And I was thinking about. It, I'm like, gosh, like from like a. I don't know. I was thinking it from like a natural movement perspective, or like you know, a paleo perspective or whatever. It's like, man, the handstand pushup. I just don't see that being useful. Well, hold on now. Cause what I know somebody personally that can go from a handstand balancing free into a planche, right? Back into a handstand. Right. Okay. Wow. It's like magic. It's a fucking wizard. Right. How are you able to do that? It's an incredible amount of upper body strength. And so does doing a handstand push-up, can a handstand push-up lead to that? I don't know, but there's progressions. Sure, know, sure. But I'm sure it helps to be able to do a handstand push-up. I'm sure in the in your training when you were doing handstand to planche, you had to do probably some freestanding handstand push-ups. Right. right? Freestanding, not against the wall. I like handstand push-ups. 
they're super fun with a tempo, you know, take two, three seconds to lower, slightly touch your hair to the floor. My head doesn't come anywhere near the floor or an ab mat. I don't even use ab mats because I don't want it to. And then press back up. Yeah, they're super fun. But do the math, man. If my CrossFit career is <laughs> two and a half years long and once a week I'm doing 15 to 30 kipping hand sample shots, how many does that add up to? How many compressions on the spine is that? Mm. I mean, it's a ticking time bomb. Right. It's just an accident waiting to happen. Then you're coming in, you're going, yeah, I don't know. I got this pain in my elbow and everything that I do doesn't seem to get it to go away. Well, you think it's your elbow, huh? You don't think it's coming from your neck? Take a look at your cervical spine and see how many nerves are coming down. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I, I yeah, for sure, if I had to rank them one, two, three, four, whatever, I'd get rid of the Kipping Hansen push-up. It's crazy, man. What, what is wrong with just a, like we said this the other day, a standing dumbbell military press? Right. Well, I guess the point I was trying to make was like from like a, I think natural movement's the best term I can come up with. But if in, in that context, it's like, when I mean, maybe if I fell into like a slot canyon head first and needed to press myself, you know, there's, I'm sure there's some situation where that strength would be useful, but you know, it's not that you can't develop it, you know, standing dumbbell press, military press, push ups, whatever. Um, and I agree. I love the, I, it's a fun exercise. I enjoy it, but yeah, man, I always wondered about that. Like, you know, the neck getting compressed and like, and I definitely remember people complaining about it. Yeah, man. And maybe you're one of the lucky few that's going to get away with it. Maybe. Again, we talk about genetics mm -hmm. or just whatever, luck. But again, think about your CrossFit career. How long really is it? Maybe it's around two and a half years if you're just really focused on just CrossFit and the open and blah, 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 blah. Right. It's like, do the math, man. Those numbers are going to add up real quick. For sure. For sure. And you're going to lead into like all kinds of weird problems. Um, yeah, the kipping pull-up for sure, I think is kind of ridiculous. Um, and here's the reason why I, I, there's a couple of names that come to mind, really fit individuals. They can swing a one and a half food kettlebell, 21 reps, you know, great control. No problem. They can run 400 meters, you know, 110, 115, pretty much no problem. They can do 10 to 15 strict pull-ups with great control, really good breathing pattern, no problem. What workout comes to mind when you think of those three things? One of my favorites, Helen. Right. 400 meters, 21 kettlebell swings, 12, 12 pull-ups. And people are like, oh, well, I can go, I can go faster if I do kipping. Not faster than this guy. Maybe you know, maybe he's 10, 12 seconds slower than you. But, like, shouldn't you strive to be in his level? Right. Or, right. Why are you striving to have this, like, six-minute hell in time with butterfly pull-ups, right? Versus this guy who can do hell in six and a half minutes with strict pull-ups. Shouldn't you be striving to be this guy? So spend your time. I mean, you know. To me, that's a better indication of health if you take all those different uh, modalities and take a look at them. 
that's a better indication of health. Shouldn't you be, oh, it's too hard. I can't go as fast. <laughs> Maybe you should spend some time uh, focusing on that. You know, why is this person able to do it and you're not? Right. Like, you don't have the foundation. You don't have the base. Build it up. Right. Spend the time. I think it's, I think it's worth doing, investing the time into getting to that, you know, that ability. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm one of those people that can do Helen with strict pull-ups. That, that wasn't, you know, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about a guy named Eli. It's it's incredible when you watch him do it. Um, you should, you should be striving to, um, to be in that, that level. I feel like. For sure. That's, and that's one thing I noticed in the gym is like the water always flowed toward intensity above all else versus, or I guess you could substitute intensity with speed, but the manner in which you achieve that intensity and or speed wasn't always indicative of your abilities, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, kipping toes to the bar too. It's like <clears throat> we're you and I are rock climbers, right? Right, rock climbing. I, I'm a. I grew up wrestling, so I've got a pretty decent core. So for me, 10, 15 strict toes to bars not hard. I've done a lot of them. We've done a lot of them. Training for climbing, it's not hard. So any workout that has you know toes to bar in it, and I'm always trying to do strict because one, it's not that hard for me. I can still go fast. Shouldn't you strive to be in that department? There's people who can do 15, 20 kipping toes to bar pretty well, looks good from a CrossFit standpoint. You can't do five strict, keep your legs straight toes to bar. You have it's a it's a weird thing where you're you have this ability to move in this kipping manner, but you don't have this strict ability to control your body through a certain range of motion. And I, I you cannot argue with me. I will never ever agree with you that kipping is going to lead to this one it's like it's the other way around right nobody's ever developed strict strength i don't think from i've not seen it in seven and a half years from doing kipping movements right nobody improved their strict handstand push-ups from doing a buttload of kipping handstand push-ups right well that's kind of where your point of like those foundational elements or movement patterns were basically skipped entirely over for the sake of intensity, you know, what, what do you think is the most, why, why wouldn't you strive to be in this department? I could list five, six, 10 examples of people who have unbelievable range of motion, unbelievable control on a strict, you know, straight leg toes to bar unbelievable and can still do it with, you know, a high intensity of, you know, running two, 400 meters and doing a box jump or whatever, right. Any sort of, um, plyometric high intensity movement for sure should you strive to be in that department yeah maybe they go 30 45 seconds slower than you but in my opinion i think they're stronger for sure they're well yeah important. yeah what do you think's the most underutilized excuse me let me start over what is the most underutilized exercise or training methodology in your opinion oh bicep curls for sure <laughs> they, they got <laughs> It's like you couldn't do curls for like, I don't know. There's like a period of like, I don't know, five, seven years where curls were just unacceptable. Yeah. You know, I think first thing that popped into mind is, um, at least from where I've come from, the most underutilized is just separating um, 
that monostructural from some other movements. You know, programming in, you know, 15 second sprints, 10 second sprints with, you know, 45, 50 seconds rest. Right. It's just rarely ever done. And, and I've, I think it's a missed opportunity. It doesn't need to be, you know, 20 minutes worth. Right. But I could do six to eight sets of, you know, 10, 15 second sprints and then, you know, 45, 50 seconds of recovery. I think, I mean, you know, before CrossFit was a brand and it was an affiliate and there were CrossFit gyms, I always sort of did, you know, strength training Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesdays, Thursdays. I did those type of, um, you know, aerobic or anaerobic intervals. Right. That was, that was it, man. I would spend... 15, 20 minutes, just moving incredibly slow, dynamic movements just to get my body loose and like warmed up crawling lunges and, you know, split lunges, reach behinds, downward dogs, all kinds of just fun, dynamic movement flowing. And then it would just, I would just get after it for like 10 minutes, right. you know? And, and you just never really see that, that separation. It's now it's like, Run 400 meters, 20 burpees, you know, 10 power cleans, whatever. It's like you just can't – you could do that, that that type of workout for, you know, three, four rounds or 10, 15 minutes or whatever you want to call it. But the intensity is just not there. Now, you take somebody who's really good at CrossFit, yeah, they're going to show you that they've got good intensity. But I guarantee you they have a base – from some other sport, some other foundation that's allowed them to be able to do it. Right. But, you know, Dave walks in off the street and he's 46 years old and, you know, he played basketball in high school, maybe a little bit in college, but hasn't done anything in 10, 12, 15 years. And then there's like, yeah, there's 14 minute AMRAP, dude, 200 meter run. Just, they just don't know how to do it. And I think you can develop this really good aerobic base from that style of training separate. Right. Right. Good 15, 10 minute, just beautiful flow. Get the body moving, get after it for, you know, eight, 10 minutes of just like short, intense durations. Sometimes, you know, even 30 seconds, whatever, maybe you go 30 seconds hard, a little bit harder to do. Right. Right. But I think people, it will allow people to figure out what intensity really is in a really short and controlled um, structure. Right. Right. I think that one's for sure. Right. That's actually, I've been doing the last maybe two months. I really started doing that specifically where I'll go do like, um, you know, like fartlek style run or like hill sprints, but it's, you know, pretty much full recovery in between each sprint. But man, it's like, if you haven't done, which I hadn't done that for a while. And it's like the first few times it, it definitely tickles in a, in a way I forgot, but you know, I, I feel like if you have some training base, it'll come back quickly. If not, you may need to take a little more time, but it's like, it's hard to get to that, that level when you're combining it into, you know, other things like you're describing, you know? And it feels really good. Like I feel super energized after, you know, it's like six to eight total sprints, they're between like 10 and 15 seconds max. The hill sprints are really like too, cause it's, um, especially if you're working back into it, you get that intensity and that power without the impact. And I think it helps like with, um, 
avoid like a hamstring pull as well, you know, especially super steep hill. But I don't know why, I don't know why that isn't done more. It's so easy in a, in a way. It's not, it's not pretty. It's not the new shiny. <laughs> thing, yeah, exactly. Dude. It's not exactly. that. You know, I actually saw somebody, somebody posted something the other day. They were talking about nutrition, but they were like the basics and the fundamentals in nutrition. They're not pretty. They're not beautiful. They're not the new shiny thing in the corner that's attractive. And I want that thing. Right. It's not. Right. Speaking of what, uh, how do you approach nutrition personally and with your clients? Personally, um, I mean, I just basically, I try to eat, ah, it's kind of like two things really. I, I, my plate is always like protein first. Okay. What am I going to have for protein tonight? Fish two, three times a week. It's probably closer to two. Um, mostly cause I always overcook it. It's so hard <laughs> to cook fish. Um, I love red meat. Uh, majority of times I eat red meat, chicken, whatever. I figure out what my protein is, and then I kind of figure out what vegetables are going to go with that. And then basically it's just protein and a buttload of vegetables. My vice is for sure tacos. Dude, I'm a taco junkie. I love tacos. So when I'm not eating well, I'm I'm getting down on tacos. For sure. Whether it's eating out or, or eating at home. I mean, gosh, man, I think – in December, we were on a run there. My girlfriend and I, we must have had tacos like two times a week for like four weeks. That's a lot of tacos, man. You got to call me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah three tacos. <laughs> um, I think for my clients, it's people just do not eat enough vegetables. And it's just constantly trying to hammer that home. Hammer it, dude. What's a creative way for you to get vegetables? Um, you know, like I, I um, have a couple of just straight up nutrition clients right now. And, you know, I built out like a whole menu a month's worth of food and it's basically like these are the specific things that you need to eat and at first it was kind of interesting because some of them would talk to me about like it's so much food and i'm like it's not really if you look at the macronutrient content there's not that many like calories to that meal you're just not used to eating that many vegetables it just takes time to consume that much vegetable but the nutrient density of that particular food, it's not that high. And when you compare it to a tortilla, right? If I take a tortilla and it's got 12 grams of carbohydrates, you know, and I mean, that's 50 calories, right? How many cups of broccoli do I have to eat to get 12 grams of carbohydrates, 50 calories? (laughs) You know, probably 300 grams of broccoli. Right. right. But just constantly hammering that home, hammering in variety, you know, you just constantly have to talk to them about it. Right. Um, So, that's that's pretty much vegetables, dude. Vegetables, vegetables, vegetables. Any sort of like macro breakdown as far as like low carb, high fat, high fat, low carb, low fat, high carb, whatever. I honestly, um, I think I kind of have two different camps, right? Okay. I have people that don't eat enough protein. Right. They eat plenty of carbohydrates whatever so it's more of just like getting them to eat more protein dude you're in a you're in a protein deficiency there's all kinds of horrible things happen to your endocrine system when you're in a protein deficiency and strength training right um and typically with that you know the carbohydrate level will come down when they start to eat more more protein um 
then there's the other camp where um, maybe they're eating, you know, protein and they're just like not eating enough. Right. So the macronutrient content, I mean, for my guys, it's like, okay, well, let's look at lean muscle mass. How many grams of protein should you be eating on a daily basis just to maintain where you're at? Okay. Now what are our goals? Are we trying to lose body fat? Are we trying to gain lean muscle mass? How many grams of protein do we need to eat to be able to hit those goals? Right. And then we go from there. Okay. How many calories is that? Okay. How many calories does that allow us if we're doing like a, you know, 30, 30, 40 type balanced diet. And really it's, you know, I'm trying to promote like lifestyle, right? Like what's long term, what's going to give you, what's going to deliver optimal health. And and typically that sort of balance of like 30, you know, 30% of your calories come from protein, 30% of calories come from fat and 40% come from carbohydrates, ideally from vegetables, right? Greens, anything green variety, stuff like that. So that's kind of how I approach it. What do you think one one thing I've just it's like a thought experiment, but you know, like keto and the high fat is super in vogue right now. My question is if you put like a human in the wild, like a like a hunter gatherer, where are they gonna get super fatty stuff? Because game meat's not that fatty. You know, there's nuts, there's avocados, but I just that that's always that's just something lingering in the back of my mind. Like where from like a evolutionary perspective, where would you get this super high fat diet in the wild? You know? I mean, that's a really good question. And I had never actually thought about it that way, but that is a good question. I'm not saying it's bad or good. I just, it's a question like I've never heard a good answer to, you know, for a high fat diet is a keto diet actually a high fat diet or is it just a low carb diet? That's a good question. Um, I definitely know it's low carb, which I would, I think a lot of people, um, kind of fill in those calories with fat. Um, but I just, I don't, I'm interested in nutrition, but I've never, I've never really dove deep into the nuances and specifics of these things. So I don't, I couldn't really describe like keto in a, nuanced way i'm speaking more from like a high level uh outside looking in perspective and i guess kind of speaking for folks that you know are listening to podcasts seeing you know news headlines and then without much further research kind of just adopting that yeah um that's that's really interesting. I like the way you looked at it. If you were said, what was the thing you said about like if you were you know pr- going going back primal caveman? It's like where would they get the fats? Yeah, well, it's just like I'm I'm curious of how you could argue a high fat diet would be natural for a human if in the wild fat is a relatively sca- like protein, you know. If you can hunt and kill an animal, protein is relatively abundant, assuming you can be successful hunting. But again, like game meat is just not that fatty. You know, there certainly has fat, so it's not that it doesn't exist, but I don't know if it would exist. I don't know if you'd be able to consume fat in the same volume that you are able to now, you know. Got people who are just hammering down avocados right i don't know i'm just i'm curious like i do it i eat a lot of fat one area like what were the 
what were the Native Americans doing without avocados? I know, but I guess, you know, if you could kill buffalo, like, I don't know, they have a decent amount of fat. So, um, it's just, or like, you know, if you're, um, if you live in the Arctic and you're killing seals and whales, like that's a shit ton of fat. But, you know, if you're from like maybe a more equatorial area, like probably fruit and like leaner protein is probably what you're eating more of. Or if you lived on the coast, you know, I guess you'd have decent access to fat with shellfish and fish and things like that. But it's just something I, I, I just, I don't know where I would be able to get this massive like butter and cream pre-agricultural in a more, you know, paleo quote unquote or hunter gatherer situation. I think it's a better word. I know, I know, dude, I kind of know where you're saying. It's just like, it's all super confusing when you look at all the different ones. Um, you know, it's even like paleo, whole 30 AIP, you know, paleo. It's like, there's fucking paleo muffins, and paleo <laughs> waffles and paleo pancakes and, paleo cookies and I, what right i feel like the idea is to eat vegetables and lean protein sources right. not figure out a creative way to cheat the system with cassava flour and arrowroot starch to make yourself fucking cookie right <laughs> just eat a cookie I mean, well, there's some people that probably can't for sure, sure. whatever reasons. Their their gut bioorganism is toxic, and so if I eat this cookie, then that's going to cause even more, like, sort of, you know, down the road issues, you know, right? Whatever. But and then, and then there's people who have allergies for sure. Um, but yeah, I think you know, eat some lean lean protein and just as many vegetables as you can right that's the really hard part but i tell you what if you can tap into spices that's a game changer man learn your spices you you don't even have you know start with three or four three you know i mean here's an example the two vegetables i eat constantly are um, broccoli and brussels sprouts okay all the time i go to costco dude you can get these like four pound bags of broccoli for cheap man organic broccoli it's good so i like always hammering down broccoli it's like you know how do you cook it so that it stays creative and fun and so you're not just like right. broccoli again right i mean we could talk about the health benefit uh health benefits of broccoli for sure especially if you're a 40 year old man who eats a lot of red meat it's good for you um but learn your spices man um rosemary thyme oregano parsley things like that get get good at your spices and you can get good at eating your vegetables, cooking them different ways. Oh, for sure. What, Man, I tell you what, right? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I, one thing I wanted to bring up was, so I almost, I, I, I've been curious, I, you know, I've heard on podcasts for a few years and, you know, read different articles. I was, I've been curious to try a carnivore diet. I was curious to try January was world carnivore month. I was about to do it. I had, I'd like, I was about to go to the store or all this stuff. And then I was doing just a little bit of last kind of research. Like, is this, do I really want to do this. I read a great article by, um, Lane Norton, bio lane. You, do you know him? He's, he's, I like his stuff. He's a smart guy. Anyways, I was like, fuck, I'm an idiot. Lane Norton. Lane Norton. Um, I think he's a PhD, uh, nutritionist actually. But, uh, he wrote this really good article about, 
just diet in general and all these different things. A lot of ancestral health things pulled in, but I just, I was so mad at myself for getting caught up in what's clearly kind of more like, uh, I'm sh- let me take a step back. I'm sure there's certain people that, you know, Jordan Peterson's one of them that have legit autoimmune issues and that particular diet seems to work extremely well for them. So I don't want to discount that, but I think for the Carn- vast, what's that? Carnivore diet. Carnivore diet. I, Jordan Peterson, he's got, you know, he's had issues with like depression and autoimmune stuff since, I don't know, his whole life. And he basically just eats steak. And he says that's, you know, if he has any, anything else, essentially he'll basically break down for a month. So who knows? It could be a psychosomatic thing, but you know, he's a really smart person. So I tend to trust his intuition with that particular thing. But, um, I think there's this movement now there's people, it's kind of like the opposite of vegans where it's become this kind of panacea for anything. And it's the best thing. And it's the, that's the way everyone should eat and all this stuff. And I just, when I, after I read that and really thought about it, I was like, Oh, this is so stupid. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, again, I think it's, it's like, it's the extremes, right? Vegans on one end, carnivores on the other. And, Again, I'm sure there's people that thrive and do well and have real reasons for doing either or. But I think the fallacy for both is to suggest that either is optimal for most people, where the reality is, like most things, somewhere in the middle. And uh, I don't know if you've seen much of that going on or follow any of those folks or has seen the conversation, but it's it's like the new thing. about the carnivore diet was Joe Rogan. Yeah. I mean, Rogan was doing it. Uh, that's actually one of the, I was like, oh, cause he talked about it. Like, I was like, okay, I'll try it for a month. So I think January is like world carnivore month, but just the guys behind it. There's another guy. Um, you, just, you don't eat any fruit or vegetables. You eat meat, organs, fish, eggs, no fruit, no vegetables. I mean, how, how new is the carnivore diet? What do you mean? Like, like the idea or can we study it? Can we study its health properties yet? Has it, has it been, have people been doing it long enough to say that like, wow, you know, like, I feel like the keto diet's pretty easy to study because you can look and see what ketones are doing and you're like, okay, yeah, this is, there is, um, you know, health benefits here. Um, but with the carnivore diet, I mean, are enough people doing it for a long amount of time for us to be like, Oh, maybe we shouldn't do that. Or like, no, this is great. I mean, I, I don't know the answer. I know there's anecdotal studies of people or anecdotal stories of people doing it for like 20 years and they're, they're thriving. They're great. Which again, I think that could be, that's like an N equals one experiment, but I, I think to apply it to the vast, you know, that middle of the bell curve population just seems wrong, frankly. And what I, what I really don't like about it as well as, essentially the the kind of folks that are most vocal about it are essentially they're saying broccoli's bad for you literally um what yeah literally man it's it's so crazy to me and um it, again it's like a it's yeah do they have science to back that up so their argument is there's um i'm going to totally botch the the chemical name for the compound name but essentially they're arguing that the plant defense mechanisms, since it doesn't have teeth, claws, fangs, the 
plant's defense mechanisms are these chemicals that are essentially toxins. And so therefore you shouldn't eat them at all. Um, but again, in my mind, it's like, well, maybe it's true. There are toxins in plants. I, I agree. That's a real thing. There's also things like in cooked meat for sure that aren't necessarily good for you. But, um, I think if you take that step back to like the hunter gatherer time and what would be natural, it's like people for sure ate both because you were going to eat whatever you could possibly eat, whether it was berries, meat, tubers, pine needles, whatever. And I think to argue that kind of like these extremes would be optimal again, whether it's the plant fully plant plant plant-based or fully carnivore, I think is just extremely misguided and very dangerous for the vast majority of people that that's what I really don't like about either side, you know? Uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I had heard that argument about uh, plants and, you know, the sort of toxicity of them as their defense mechanism. I've heard that before, but the overwhelming amount of scientific research Proving the healing properties of vegetables and fruits, you just you just can't argue with it. I I read a book this past year called <clears throat> How Not to Die. Fascinating book. Okay. By Michael Greger. Cool. Uh, I think it's Michael Greger actually. I think so. I'll have to double check that. But um, anyway, this guy is just gonna go and. First of all, I should say that in the beginning, it seems like he's a strong advocate of being a vegetarian or closer to a vegan. Okay. But there are moments in the book where you'll read and you'll be like, okay, he's not really pushing that agenda. He's just telling you the healing benefits of eating vegetables, fruits and vegetables, large quantities of them. And, And I just... Dude, there is just an overwhelming amount of scientific research proving that this is important. We need folate. We need B vitamins. We need an abundance of different vitamins and minerals. And we can get those in plants. Can we get them in whale fat? Yes. Do we need them in whale blubber? Yes, if I'm a fucking Inuit living in Saskatchewan and there is no broccoli. Because where well, where is the whale getting those omegas and those minerals and vitamins? Where are they getting it? Right. In the ocean. Those um uh those ca- uh kelp forests mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. filled with all of those vitamins and nutrients. And the whale is in this thriving ecosystem and the Inuits killed it and then you know they ate that fat. Because that's where they're getting all those things is frozen tundra, bro. You're not getting, you know, the plants up there. Right. Right. Or if I'm a fucking Navajo, Roman, Oklahoma, it's like, where am I getting those things? I'm getting it from the buffalo because the buffalo got it in its natural ecosystem. Right. So the carnivore diet, I mean, it's interesting. I guess I would just have to wait and see. In the meantime, I'm going to keep eating my, uh, my berries and my broccoli. Right. Well, I just, you know, besides again, those extreme versions, like, you know, Arctic peoples, 
And, you know, I don't know, I can't really think of a, I don't know. Was there like, is there any examples of like a fully vegan, essentially, I guess it would be gatherer society. Maybe that existed. I have no idea. But, um, I think again, if you look at that middle of the bell curve and what most people. England 12th century. What's that? <laughs> 12th century England. That was where veganism started. No, I don't know. I I just re- I read this book recently, and they were just like the farmers, man. They just didn't have access to meat. Oh yeah, unless they grew a pig. But then, where did you get the money to buy a pig and and raise it? And right, yeah, that's a whole nother. Um, I found uh, in Sapiens, I thought he did a really good job of talking about like how the agricultural revolution allowed more people to live a less a life of less health essentially, which I thought was fascinating, which totally made sense when he breaks it down. But, um, yeah, man, no, it's just, it's interesting because there's something about nutrition and diet that it brings out this kind of like religious tendency in people to want to join like, you know, the vegan tribe, the carnivore tribe, the paleo tribe, the keto tribe, whatever. I, I think to, to also add to that, it's amazing to me how many different people have, tremendous success with one thing or another. For instance, you could, you can find the vegan bodybuilder. Oh yeah, for sure. And he has this phenomenal physique, seemingly very healthy, positive energy about him. You know, and I say seemingly because I don't know the person. All I see is what he posts on the internet. Right. He has the somehow has the ability to only eat plants and fruits and vegetables and and develop this you know this body this physique the vegan bodybuilder you know another good example would be you know the, I mean the opposite the bodybuilder who just is like you know sixty grams of chicken you know hundred grams of rice and, and broccoli whatever he's just eating tons of meat. But do you remember that movie? I can't even remember what it's called when Scott Jurek does the um, the Appalachian Trail in a record time. And then like immediately, like two days later, um, there was a guy that beats his record, but he's like on a carnivore diet. I never saw the movie, but I, I remember that now. I remember that sequence of events. Yeah. So it's like two guys had tremendous amount of success, both doing complete opposites of each other. Right. Right. Um, you know, in that movie, there are men and women who are competing in sports at a really high level, eating just plants. Right. Not, and it's incredible. And that worked for you. And I think that's great. You can find the opposite. Right. right. Of people, you know, having tremendous amount of success eating another way. And I, I think it's, it's pretty cool. So whether you're a carnivore or a vegan or vegetarian, this might work for you, but is it the optimal way? Is it the way for 7 billion people? No. Right. Yeah. And that's, I just, I want to be clear with that. Like I'm, I'm kind of like you, I have the pro the protein anchors. That's the linchpin of my meal. And then I, I build around it for sure. But, I think for um, me too, it's the way I feel. If I don't get enough program, uh, protein, I don't feel good. Right. I don't feel well. Right. And, and as a trainer and a you know health advisor, whatever, I, I'm just able to tap into those emotions um, pretty quickly. I can, I can kind of, a lot of my training is based on how I feel, you know, and I'm constantly pushing my clients to do the same thing. Listen to your body. Listen to how you feel right now. What, what's the best thing for us? 
based on this where we're at. But for me, it's like, man, if I'm not eating enough protein for whatever reason, like I don't feel well. I don't feel strong. I don't feel sharp, alive, positive, you know? And then I, there's a two things usually happen. One, I start craving it and I'm like, oh man, oh, you know, I, need to, I need to eat it. Or the other thing happens is I just realize that I don't feel well and I start eating more protein. And then I'm like, fucking great, dude. <laughs> just boundless energy you know you wake up you have that focus just everything's just there right that's what i'm after right right and so for me it's like it's it's definitely protein first yeah and that's again like the whole i guess the action item i would give to people just after we've gone on kind of a journey here is like and i suspect you'd probably agree but with nutrition it's you got it's a self-experiment it's a self-experiment if you don't feel good when you eat broccoli, don't eat broccoli. If you don't feel good when you eat a burger, don't eat burgers, you know, do, if you feel good, that's pretty good sign from your body telling you what works and doesn't work. And, um, you know, again, there's certain instances where, you know, a radical diet does make sense. But again, if you're in the middle of that bell curve, which most of us are, and it's probably where you want to be, honestly, is, you know, just militant omnivore, man. You know, actually what you said uh, about it's very individual, you can, I mean, it is so individual. And I, and I have two very clear examples in my mind of, you know, for ah, the better part of three years, I was working pretty closely with somebody who's a vegan. Okay. I mean, and how closely? I mean, we're on phone calls, we're on text messages. I can see um, everything that they're eating tracked in front of me. It's written down. I mean to the ounce and the calorie, right? And I kept telling them, like, you got to get animal protein, man. Got to get some animal protein. Not going to happen. Not going to do it. This gentleman was able to achieve, in my mind, pretty good success sticking to his guns and not eating animal protein. It took a little while. took a little while. A couple years. But he was consistent and consistency is key when it comes to diet. Um, and I, you know, when I, when I say diet, it just means the way that you eat, the lifestyle that you choose to eat, right? Took a couple of years, but looking at him now, I'm like incredibly proud because he stuck to it, right? And I mean, you're talking upper high 20% body fat to now like 10, oh, wow, 9% okay. body fat. Yeah. And it took a while, but like he was able to do it. And now, I mean, he looks good. I mean, he feels good. He's strong, thriving. It's pretty cool. Now there's another person working with for not nearly as long, but right away, bro, animal protein. Got to get some animal protein. No, 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 no. I'm a vegan. No, I'm a vegetarian. I'm a vegan. This is why I'm doing it for. Finally, I don't know what clicked starts incorporating some animal protein in the diet. Whoa, look what happened to the body. Look what happened to the energy level. Everything just seemingly changed for me on the outside perspective overnight. I like couldn't believe how your body just started to develop differently. Your energy level in these workouts, to, you know, developed differently. And two, two different people, man. One, I don't know, man. The other one wasn't really having success with just the vegan diet. And all of a sudden, a little bit of animal, animal protein and now we're having success. 
muscle definition, body composition, everything's changing, stronger, thriving. It's like, wow, dude, look for you. Good for you. Yeah, for sure. It's very, you know, very individual. Yeah. It's just, it's something I've never, I've always hesitated to give like super specific advice on. Cause I just, I really believe it's such an individual, um, experiment. So, but yeah. Uh, and you know what else too? It will change. Right. What I ate when I was 20 is different than what I eat now. What I ate when I was 30 was different than 20 and it's different than what I eat now. And it will change. And it's very interesting. I, I think there, I, I actually read this quote the other day and it was talking specifically about uh, nutrition and, and they were saying how there's some things in life that as we get older, they become easier. Maybe it's my job, parenting, whatever. But with nutrition, it doesn't. It does get a little bit more challenging as we get older. Things need to change hmm. or things do change. And I, I think it's kind of interesting. Totally. I mean, it makes sense, you know, and, and I guess it could change as well with activity, you know, right? If you're like, you know, a D1 college athlete in the strength conditioning room every day versus like someone, you know, like a Bill Wright, that's more like out on the trails, climbing, running, like you know, maybe your nutrition profile is going to be what you need to thrive is going to be a little different. So makes a little sense. Yeah. Well, I've got like, let's see a few more. These are like, uh, outro questions. Sweet. What's your, uh, what's your favorite training podcast besides live wild or die? <laughs> I, you know, um, the one that I'm listening to right now is my fit, my fit podcast, DJ Hillier. Okay. And, um, the reason why I like this particular podcast is the variety of information that's delivered. Who knew that I could listen to a fitness podcast and learn about, um, relationships, mm. you know, um, your friendships, your significant other, you know, how to cultivate that, uh, how to improve those skills. That was pretty cool. Um, you know, also this guy, I, I honestly, I just, I don't even know how I learned about him. I just kind of did. And he's a competitive CrossFit athlete, but I feel like he really understands the difference between the sport of fitness and training for health and longevity. And I feel like he's biased towards even though he's a you know competitive uh, crossfitter he's really biased towards this promoting health and longevity and I, it's fascinating to me when you hear him talk but i think more so it's just like the people that it, uh, you know he has on there okay uh, mental training relationships just really variety of stuff I, I think i've been listening to maybe i don't even know 15 12 15 of his okay um a couple of them um, more than once, you know, James Fitzgerald is OPEX. Yeah. Yeah. He was the original CrossFit games champion. He's, he's on there and uh, it's really interesting to listen to, um, his perspective on the sport of fitness and exercise and training. I've listened to that one like two or three times. Okay. Any, uh, fitness books you've read recently or you'd recommend if you had to pick one? 
fitness books or training slash fitness. Well, you know, for training, I don't really like read about training all that much. I like the mental side of it. Okay. So I, I'm, I love the mental training. I, I love to teach people who aren't athletes about mental toughness or mindfulness during this, you know, like self-induced stress. Um, book I'm reading right now is called the unbeatable mind by Mark divine. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, pretty, pretty fascinating book. Um, I like, I, I love, um, you know, for the last year I've been really getting into just like breathing. Mm. Um, so like breathing for warriors, uh, I forget the name of the author, you know, breathe, um, or breath by oh, James yeah. Nasser. Yeah. Oh man, what else? God, I feel like I must have read like three or four good nutrition books last year or two. Um, well, I guess going back to the mental thing, dude, if you hadn't read Atomic Habits, that one's badass. Dude. Oh yeah, I've read that a few times actually now. James Clear, that's a great book. But again, that goes back to just sort of like mindfulness and you know creating discipline and you know sustainable habits and things like that. Right. Um, that that nutrition book how how not to die michael gregor that that book's dude that book's great man it's dense it's a lot to unpackage but i i really loved the subject so i was into it okay what about you know one thing man i've really struggled with lately is you know just be dicking around like want to read some you know training nutrition fitness whatever like i'm struggling finding a website that has not bullshit are there any like websites that you frequent that you'd recommend? That's not bullshit. What do you mean? I don't know. It's like I'll go on, uh, you know, like a breaking muscle. Not that they're all bullshit. They have some good stuff, but I'll go on there and it's like, it's kind of a bunch of, there's nothing at a deeper level, I guess that I'm looking for or someone that maybe I respect or trust. I feel like, you know, I've written articles for Breaking Muscle, and I feel like they kind of just want volume over substance to a degree. Um, I think the articles I wrote were pretty good, personally. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I just I'm having I'm like struggling. Like you know, I'll go to a um, I like Mark's Daily Apple. I'll go there. But again, that's not that's more of like. That's more health wellness. I'm I'm looking for more like training, I guess. Training for what? Just, just general, you know. There's you know maybe a new um, strength protocol that has shown promising um, early results, or you know a new technique for you know improving you know cardiovascular endurance or whatever things like that you know just a general aggregator of training information sure sure i'm not sure if there's anything like new i don't i don't think anybody's reinventing the wheel but there's it's the way they deliver old messages right 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 um i mean james fitzgerald the opex that's that's a pretty good okay i'll have to check it out that's a pretty good website, you know, in the sense of I, I feel like what they're talking about right now is they're talking about that thing where uh, what we talked about earlier, how long can I train at this intensity? Mm-hmm. 
before there's diminishing returns. I start to get knee pain, uh, low back, shoulder, whatever. How long am I able to train at this intensity? And they're, they're kind of tapping into that right now, I feel like. OPEX is saying that like being at this high intensity for this amount of time, isn't the way to optimal health. If that makes sense, but they're not talking about specific training protocols in the sense of like, I want to run my first half marathon or right, I want right. to ride a hundred miles or something like that. Um, but, but for general physical, you know, health and wellness. I think that those are pretty good. I also really like Marcus Philly. Mm. Uh, he's got some pretty cool stuff. Really, you know, honestly, it's really about the same thing as OPEX or just like diversity of movement patterns. Right. His, his whole thing is functional bodybuilding, which, which I, I love in the sense of let's go back to what we talked about, kipping handstand pushups. What the fuck is wrong with the standing strict press? Sure. Nothing. Sure. Strengthen the medial delts, man. Strong triceps. Something wrong with this. That's functional bodybuilding, right? Add a tempo to it. Combine that with some lunges, maybe a weighted lunge. Combine that with a, you know, some sort of monostructural, maybe I'm in a row at like 70%. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and, but, you know, he, he has just, I feel like a diversity of movement that's, for me, I don't want to say it's old school, but it's kind of like, I, it goes back to stuff I used to do when I was younger, when I trained for wrestling or, you know, post wrestling career and things I, I did on my own. You know what I'm talking about? Right. Before right. it was kipping toes to bar and fucking snatches and box jumps and running and stuff like that. Totally. Yeah. Diversity of movement. Marcus Phil is pretty good. Um, gosh, what other websites? Wish I had my browser window open. <laughs> just scroll through. Yeah, it just it was. I had this revelation the other day of like, gosh, like, you know, it's like I can go to Rock and Ice and read about climbing or Mountain Project or whatever. But oh, did you see K two just got um, climbed in the winter? Oh yeah, that's gnarly, man. Good for those that's, guys. It was like pretty. Uh, I was pretty shocked to learn that K2 had never been climbed in the winter. Yeah, actually, and now that you mentioned that, yeah. I was really surprised that it was a bunch of locals. And I say locals when I mean as Sherpas and, you know, Nepali climbers. Right. Yeah, that's badass, man. Good for those guys. Pretty cool, for sure. Hell yeah. Yeah, I guess, like, you know, hearing hearing you, this concept keeps getting brought up, but it's, it's like the anti-fragility concept of training where the inputs you want the inputs into the system to make the system more robust versus i felt like i got into this period of time where it was like the inputs were essentially breaking me down (laughs) constantly and it was just surviving you know so i'm trying to like you know start from a blank slate more or less and like how can you create this more anti-fragility system where your the inputs lead to more robustness versus this constant fight for survival. So, yeah, I mean, goes back to your goals, dude. Like, what are you trying to achieve? For me personally, I want. I'm 41. I'm going on 42, right? But I want to be able to go play basketball at the gym with my friends and thrive and feel good. Right. I want to be able to go play a home run derby 
with my friends and crush them. I'm talking 18 home runs around. I want to dominate. <laughs> I want to be able to um, trail run with my girlfriend or with my friends. I want to be able to climb 14ers, but not just succeed at climbing 14er. I want to do it well. I want to feel good. When I get back to the trailhead, I want to be like, take the backpack off, no problem, swig of water. What are we doing this afternoon? Right. I want to be able to rock climb. I mean, I used to obsess about grades in rock climbing, but that's kind of changed since I've been climbing for 20 years. Um, and, I, and I would say I'm really happy in this like medium intensity. Um, I want to be able to do that for the next 20 years. I, when I'm 61, I hope I'm still climbing at that grade, but I also feel really good when I do it. Right. right. Nothing hurts. No shoulders, no back, no knee. And so I think what I'm getting at is like, I want to be this really um, successful, well-rounded athlete. And I think that there is a way to train so that I can accomplish all of those things. And I think under this training methodology, it will take somebody who's never done any of those things and it will allow them access to all of them. And then it will also allow them, it will also develop the curiosity to want to be involved in those things. through this particular methodology of training. And I don't think that it includes this really high intense um, style of training where you're doing, you know, Olympic weightlifting and kipping toes to bar and, you know, that kind of stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. Can you get fit doing those things? Yes. Is it the ultimate way? Is it the optimal way? I don't think so. Um, and again, you're talking about, you know, I was a CrossFit coach for seven and a half years. You know, I've been a personal trainer for 10 years. I'm sort of seeing like this pattern in the last decade of like, how do I feel, you know, what is allowing me success in, in being this, just a good athlete. And when I say a good athlete, I'm not talking about just Olympic weightlifting. I'm talking about again, basketball, baseball, ball sports, Combat sports, jujitsu, wrestling, you know, things like that. Rock climbing, outdoor sports. Well, man, we just did, uh, we're almost two hours deep. I think that's a good place to end. Sweet. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. It's good to see you, dude. Likewise. Hey, what's up, monkeys? Thank you for tuning into the show. This was episode number 80, so starting to get up there. I think we'll for sure break 100 here in 2021. So thank you guys again for tuning in. Please send your questions, comments, concerns, insights to info at monkey.co. I love hearing from you guys and I'd love to do another Q&A show here ASAP. And also listeners, monkeys, if you guys could take the time, I know it's a little bit of a hassle, but if you leave us a five-star review, that's a huge help to spreading the good word of the wild and growing the monkey family. And, you know, you can share episodes as well. I, I incorrectly had made a statement before, but you can record a clip on the overcast app and then text it to a friend and maybe even put it on like social media. But anyways, appreciate you guys. We'll keep the conversation going. And again, check out my man, Michael Butts. His website is lifewithadventure.com. He's on Instagram at lifewithadventure. And he's just a wild dude and honestly one of the best trainers I've met. So 
hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed our conversation. Get out there. Keep getting wilder, monkeys. Monkey on. <laughs>